This is the Creative Creative, a podcast of authentic discussion with industry pros. Yeah, so um, my name's Kagan Marr. I'm a motion graphic artist, I suppose, among other things. Um, kind of had like a storied, mixed career doing 2D, 3D animation. Um, that's sort of evolved over time, now focusing a lot more on production for like live concert visuals and also VJing and touring production. Okay. Uh, so it's kind of a mixed bag of things. I've kind of worn a lot of hats over the years. So did you did you come to that kind of organically? Like, is this just like different things that you've been super interested in over the years, just kind of bundled together, or was this like like a really aimed for career path? Uh, you know, it's kind of a weird one because I definitely had sort of an objective in mind there, but no real like goal for getting there. <laughs> I've never been a very goal-oriented person, so it's kind of a weird thing to like describe in that way. Um, I, I guess I like I had inspiration maybe like a decade back where I saw some things that people were doing with like projection mapping and things like that, and I just was immediately just like enamored. Like, how the hell did how, this is like magic? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like okay. I, I want to know how this magic works. Um, but I didn't have any of the know-how, and it was like a solid 10 years before it was like, okay, I finally understand everything I need to know to like actually make this happen, which included learning 3D programs and a bunch of other stuff. Okay. Um, so there wasn't like a fixed plan, but it was just something that sort of naturally progressed and then just getting lucky meeting the right people along the way. But this is this is the outcome of, of a 10-year journey to get where you are. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of a weird way to frame it, but yeah, I suppose yeah. so, yeah. Do you feel good about where you are? Is there still a lot of a lot on your bucket list that you want to still knock off? Um, I mean, I think from here, in terms of like the day-to-day work, I think I'm pretty close to like this is what I want to be doing. I think now it's more just like being a bit older and realizing that like being in the trenches day in day out is probably not like a long-term viable thing um, in terms of you know day-to-day production and things like that so like long-term it's more like how can I build a, a larger business or like a small kind of boutique agency that provides those services you know with a team of people so it's not just one guy kind of like yeah. going going crazy by himself so how did you okay so you're talking about growing a small business maybe as an aspiration so like how did you how, how did you wind up finding people in the first place that kind of wanted to pay for this because i think a lot of times when when you're a creative that does a lot of artistic stuff people want your shit for free like so how did how did you move away from you know kind of that clamoring for free work to okay yeah i'm working with like real deal folks um that's a good question. I mean, it's a combination of like luck and I mean, a lot of luck, honestly. Yeah. Um, I I was doing a. F- I mean, I've been doing commercial motion graphic work now for Jesus, like ten years. Yeah. And so you know, I had amassed like a pretty. I don't want to say great portfolio because I don't think I have a very good portfolio. It's pretty disorganized and not up to date. My demo <laughs> reel is way, way out of date, and I'm shocked anybody will hire me based on it. But um, I think that, um, you know, it was a combination of just kind of like getting my creations out in social media. That played a big role. I was really like very quiet and dark about that for a long time, and it was. I still have a lot of trepidation about social media in general. I, I don't really like engaging with it very much, uh-huh. but I've forced myself to learn that like this is something I really, really need to be doing yeah. because I saw very quickly that like in posting things up on there frequently or engaging with people who were like kind of movers and shakers that like they responded to that, you know, in a huge way. Um, 
And I, I kind of begrudgingly accepted that fact. I didn't really like that that was the reality of things. Um, so it was that combined with um, just happening to meet like a handful of people who were like established in that realm and kind of like threw me a few chances here and there. So the space where you make um, visuals for music, were mm-hmm. you a fan of the music beforehand or is this kind of like, well, I don't really, you know, more hired gun kind of thing? I mean, mostly it's been hired gun. I mean, I've been fortunate in that I've worked with a couple people who have like definitely made music that I'm into. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm not going to speak ill of anybody who employs no, me or anything like no. that, but, but you know what I mean? It's just like, it, at the end of the day, like it is, like even if you are working for somebody who's music you love right you're still being hired yeah to come to complete a job and so um uh, i don't i don't view it through that filter too much um some yes some no i mean some it's just like it becomes like almost like listening like stock music in an edit to me because after a while you just hear it so many times that it like loses any meaning at all (laughs) yeah well i mean i mean the reason i ask is like I, i i have friends that have you know found a path through making music videos and for a lot of them, it started with, yo, like, I just love hip hop. You start engaging with the artists that they love, and it kind of builds up from there. Yeah. I mean, was, was it, but it, it sounds like more like you knew people kind of on the backside of things. It was like, hey, this is a really great professional relationship. Go talk to somebody. Yeah, somewhat. I mean, and I guess as it ties into your previous question, like, you know, a lot of the acts that I do work with are, you know, in the electronic music space, and that's partially because like there's an expectation for production there to be just like next level like it's yeah very much so an experiential thing in that way compared to like other music genres i mean the kind of production that you see there is just like kind of unrivaled in my opinion barring like you know the u2s and the madonnas of this world where they go on a world tour and it's just like bonkers but like after that like you know people in the electronic music space are definitely doing the most compelling things technically i think do, do you have kind of a favorite moment from from the, those big spectacle spaces that you've been in um i think more as like an observer than a contributor yes yeah because some of like some of those stage designs now are so dumb like i did a festival at the end of actually the very end of last year of uh, 2018 in vancouver called contact and like i think their claim, I believe, was that it was, like, the largest stage design in all of North America. Uh, okay. So, it, like, how, help me out. Like, I'm, I'm used to tiny shows, you know? Like, I mean, I don't... I, I would struggle to put it into words. Like, I don't know, this is a podcast, so I can't just, like, attach an image to this. I wish I could. I have a whole bunch on my phone, it's but I mean... It's this many! <laughs> yeah, it's this many. I mean, it's it was comically large. I mean... Uh, how many people were at the festival, would you guess? I, I don't know. It would be in the thousands. I'd, I'd guess four to five. Okay. Um, I mean, let's put it this way. There was more stage than there was people. Uh, <laughs> and, and not in a like oh, low oh, attendance oh. way, but just a like... It was that big. It was just that big. It okay. was just like... Because it was held in a, uh, an arena in Vancouver and like... I mean, it was just like, it was just dumb. You know, it's just like one of these things where it's just like, this is absolutely insane. Okay, so let me set you up with a dummy question. This is this is stuff you, like, probably are not producing on a laptop. Like, what, what you know, it took you 10 years to get here. These are giant spectacle spaces. You know, what does, what is your hardware or your, or your software setup? Like, like how much, how, how much is there with that? 
Are you talking about in terms of production or like the actual performance end? No, no, on, more on the on the production, like on on the on the software nerd side of it. Okay. Like, like how much how much computer power are you having to to bring to the table to bring the pull this together? Um. So like at home, my like office, the primary workstation I'm operating on is like a. Actually, it's a little less than ideal at the moment, if I'm going to be honest. Um, but I've got a like a i7 8700K CPU guy with I don't remember how much RAM, a lot. <laughs> uh, three GTX 1080s. Um, I've got two more render nodes after that that have got a whole bunch of video cards. Which honestly, at this point, I'm having a hard time keeping track of how many. One of those is my old workstation, which is like a dual Xeon system, and then I've built another mobile system. That's actually another i7. Actually, I switched them out. I've got another. I've got another workstation that's like a mobile guy that uh, I'm building into a Pelican case for both VJing and rendering. That's got two 1080s, and then a bunch of RAM and stuff. And that's a whole other project. Like but. for a bunch of RAM, are you over 100 gigs? Uh, my old workstation had 128 okay. gigs. Yeah, so a bunch of RAM. <laughs> a bunch of RAM, yeah. And that's like my old render node. So I mean, like. Um, but ideally, I'd be working on all of the on stuff on my main build. Um, and these are these are PC computers. These are not no Hackintosh. no Max. I mean, I, I used to work with Max for a really long time, and I I'm not some like anti Apple person. No, it's I, just building it. Uh, it's just building it, and it's the cost, and it's the performance, and just at this point, quite frankly, like Apple has zero offerings that Fair. that will do what I want them to. And, and moreover, even if they did. Um, even if they could get close, like the rendering uh, tech that I use now is no longer compatible with modern Apple stuff anyway. So it's like it's not even actually a viable option. What about Linux? Is is Linux something that you consider, or is it? Uh, it seems like it's such a hobbyist struggle to bring into the creative spaces. So like I know that there are some performance games to be made there, uh, specifically with like the renderer that I use for Cinema 4D, but they don't really translate. Um, I don't think it would translate over in terms of performance, given that I you know I lean on things like Adobe a lot, and there isn't really an answer there. Yeah, there isn't really like a stable Linux way to make all that happen on the fly. No, it's funny. I was seeing like a social forum post where like the Adobe thing with Linux seems just like a like a stupid catch-22 where Adobe says, well, there's no demand, so we don't do it. And then you talk to creatives and they're like, well, the only reason I'm not on Linux is because there's no Adobe software. So it's like there's no way for the two sides to like understand whether or not it's a viable. It, it just seems like a weird gridlock of. Yeah. Because Linux seems useful to me, but there's nothing on it. I mean, I wouldn't say there's nothing, but like, there's not. Here's a, like any performance gains or like usefulness there to me is negated by the fact that the second I was finished with one task that I could do in Linux, I'd have to switch to Windows to finish it, and that just seems like a giant pain in the ass. Yeah, it does. Like, I'm not interested in doing that over and over again. Okay, so you mentioned that you that you're working a lot in Cinema 4D and the and the Adobe Creative Suite. Mm -hmm. Like, is that is that where you're spending most of your time? How big of a reach in in the software landscape do you have to get? Um, yeah, I mean, I I open Photoshop and After Effects every day for sure. Um, even if it's for the most basic stuff, but um, Cinema, Octane for rendering, ZBrush, 3D Coat. Uh, I've been 
fiddling with 3DS Max a little bit more as of late, mostly because the UV tools in cinema are just trash, in my opinion, and I can't be bothered to try and figure out how to make them work for okay. me. <laughs> and I've discovered that 3DS Max actually has okay tools in that space. Um, what else? I'm like trying to think. I'm like, like I'm like imagining my little taskbar at the bottom of my computer right now, thinking about that. I'd say those would be the big ones, um, at least in terms of like production. Production. Um, I've definitely made a big swap towards Notch as of late for real time production work. Okay. Um, which has been really really cool. Um, I don't know for those unfamiliar. It's like um, kind of somewhere between like a game engine and Nuke. I guess. Okay. Just like a weird descriptor, but basically, you know, it's the whole objective of Notch is to like render everything in real time. Okay. So like really, really high end productions will use this. And when I say productions in that context, I mean like a touring act or a theatrical company or whatever will use this for video or projections for doing everything in real time, lighting and whatnot. Mm -hmm. It's it's very much so geared towards being able to talk to other live production software. Oh, so it will integrate with the actual light setup and the laser part of the show and all of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, like you can basically, there's things like ArtNet and OSC and other protocols that it can communicate with, so you can basically create like a, a show that fits within that, or um, D3 Disguise, which is like a media server okay. program. Um, yeah, I get like uh, Sound and Light Magazine, um, which is an industry rag on you know, just like technical setups for shows and stuff, and I look at the pretty pictures. <laughs> a lot of it is way outside of my element. I mean, um, a lot of it's... But it's really impressive stuff. Yeah. From what I can puzzle out of it. I mean, it is really cool. And it's pretty crazy, the, like, leaps and bounds that have happened there. Um, Notch is amazing. I think that translating that to, like, that highest-end production is also extremely expensive. I mean, the licensing for Notch alone is dumb. I mean, <laughs> but, like, the things that can be done in it are pretty impressive for sure i've been learning it more and more and like the deeper i get into it i'm just like god this is like kind of a dream come true i do wish it was more on like the radar of um more kind of like traditional motion graphics people though because it is surprisingly usable um and really fast and i feel like it could have more of a reach outside of just you know live production stuff uh-huh um it's not cheap, but I think it's worth it in that way. Yeah, right on. Yeah. So, okay. Um, kind, kind of circling around the different things that you do. Uh, when when you work on uh, one of these live productions, is is that... It, it, when, you, when that starts, is somebody just contacting you going, yo, I love what you're already doing. Just make me something amazing. Do people come to you with concepts already in mind? How does that like idea generation and creativity part of it kind of shake out? It's all over the map. Um, sometimes it's like we have like a really established brand with a really specific idea, and like, can you kind of just help us like elaborate upon this? So like, I was working with an act there recently, um, who kind of hit me up saying like, you know, we're doing a rebrand, or not a rebrand, but they kind of have like a new look that was all very like kind of like Japanese anime inspired stuff. They're like, you know, we really want you to kind of like look at these references and just sort of like build upon this, um, which is cool. I'm mm -hmm. like, yeah, I'm happy to do that. That's a neat, neat approach. Sometimes it's just like complete blank slate. Like we really don't have a good point of reference at all. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think of other things that are really cool uh, to kind of explore. Um, 
how's your work-life balance? Do you feel like you're 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 kind of in a comfortable space with things? Um, you know, I was talking with with uh, in in the last episode, I was talking with my friend Dane, and he works sixty-hour work weeks doing reality TV, and he still feels like he's got a really solid balance for for the way he lives his life. Um, Surprised me a little bit, but he seems really happy. So you know, no judgment. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't think that it's. I don't I think it's terrible right now. I think it's been terrible in the past a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll be the first to admit that, like, that can get beyond crazy sometimes. Um, and you're primarily a contractor, right? Yeah, I, I haven't been fully employed by anybody in three or four years now. Okay. Yeah. That was yeah. the last time I had, like, a full-time, like, normal 9-to-5 job. Um, but... I definitely work. I couldn't tell you on average how many hours a week I normally work, but it's definitely way more than a nine to five. That's for sure. Do you get out enough, or are you? Do you find yourself mostly at the desk in in, in the household, or like do you work at a co working space? I work at home mostly by choice. Um, I am like really really specific about my work environment, and I'm I really really struggle with distractions and things like that. Mm-hmm. I also maintain pretty strange hours sometimes, so it's really like. I don't know, I'm cursed with this brain that around 10 o'clock is all of a sudden like, let's be the most creative and productive we can be, even <laughs> though we've been up since, you know, 7 o'clock this morning or whatever, which is um, a little bit frustrating, but, you know, I live with it, I, I make it work, um, which isn't really compatible with, like, a co-working space or something like that, or maybe it is, I don't honestly know how most of them work or for 24 hours, but... Um, I, I do make it a point to, like, set aside things on the calendar week to, like, you have to go do stuff. You have you, to dull around and you need to go. Get out of you need to go hang out with friends. You need to do this. You need to, like, you got to go. I mean, honestly, even if it's just, like, errands, like, you, you have a place to be. Because otherwise, like, yeah, I, it, it's not even, like, sometimes it's not even about, like, there's a deadline or something. It's just, like, I know I'll get excited about something. Um, and I'll just get lost in that. Like, whatever that thing is, that'll just pop up organically. It'll be like, oh, this new thing. Like, whatever it is. Like, like, I don't even know. Like, sometimes it'll be just completely off the wall. Or it's like, oh, I can link this one tool to this other one in this really weird way that I never thought about. And, you know, next thing I know, I look at my clock and it's 5 o'clock in the morning. It's just like, how did I do that? You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, and that, that, that happens all the damn time. Like, I hate to admit how often that happens. But it's just like... Whatever way my brain is wired, it's definitely um, just, like, super curious about learning things and seeing them through to completion, sometimes to unhealthy, you know, measures. <laughs> well, it seems like that curiosity for for the technical really is important, though, with, with the type of work that you're doing. Like, it seems to be kind of hand-in-hand with the passion. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, I, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm some... I don't want to put myself on some sort of, like, podium right now or some pedestal because I'm not, like, I'm, I'd like to think I'm fairly modest. Um, man, but if there's, like, one thing that, like, drives me kind of nuts sometimes about people in kind of, like, creative space in general is, like, a lack of interest there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I sometimes get a little bit frustrated when, like, I hear about people, I'm like, well, why can't I... Why don't I have like a cool opportunity to do X, Y, and Z? And then you float like, I don't know, have you explored this or have you tried this tool or have you looked at, you know, I don't know, building your own PC or just like learning more about the nuts and bolts? Like, 
because at the end of the day, like, you can be the most creative person in the world, and that's great, but, like, we rely on computers and technology to make that happen. And if you don't know how any of it works, or you don't have an interest in, like, diversifying those school, like, that sort of, like, uh, that sort of, like, tub of talent or, or, or skills or whatever you want to call it, um, like, you're going to kind of stagnate pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, and I'm certainly sympathetic to that kind of perspective because I spent several years doing frontline IT when I was in college. Mm -hmm. So having, having that point in my life be so in the face of troubleshooting technology and then becoming a digital creative, it was like, that was really, really useful in my first years. And I think it really empowered being able to see a broad horizon for how I navigated my own choices. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think that that's a really great observation of yours, that, that when, you're, when, when talking with other creatives and they, get, and they struggle to figure out, well, how do I get from where I am to where I want to be? Sometimes it's taking that detour into the understanding of the technical because like your worldview is just too narrow to recognize that your choice is just like if you just shined your little knowledge curiosity light a little bit to the left You'd see the other half of the pathway. Yeah, and I, I, again, I don't want to put myself like I don't want to say that I have like it figured out or something because no. I absolutely don't and by the same on the flip side of that coin like I think that in the more traditional sense of being a uh, you know, a creative or an artistic type. Like, I think I'm terrible. Like, I am. I can't draw a straight line. Like, if you handed me a pencil right now and you said, "I was going to ask you at some point if you sketch in a notebook." For no, your ideas. I, I literally can't. Oh. like it's it's physically impossible. Like, it's it's. I can't draw. <laughs> I can't draw. I mean, it's it's really funny because sometimes people are like, "Why? Like, you're pretty good at what you do." Blah blah blah. And like, they're like, you know, you must be amazing at like painting or something. Like, I. No, like I, painting. Actually, I'm. A, I think I'd say I'm passable. Drawing I like literally cannot draw a straight line like it's physically impossible for me to do that um, But winding back to the like kind of tech tools and creatives conversation um, You know, I'm not saying that you have to be some sort of technical wizard to excel But I do think that there's a real lack of awareness in terms of the era that we live in sometimes um, You know like I'm, I'm 30 now, you know when I got started <clears throat> learning like After Effects I mean, I was 15 um, and I started learning because my my you know school computer lab for whatever reason had like a we had like a decent Mac lab which didn't make any sense because I don't know how they had the money for that, but they somehow did. <laughs> oh, back and, in the day, Apple was just giving away computer labs to schools. I mean, I guess, I guess yeah. so, because, like, we had, like, a pretty dope one. I mean, we had a bunch of, you know, I can't remember the model now, but, like... Maybe, like, G3s or something? Probably G3s, yeah. I mean, this is going back so far now that my memory is super fuzzy, but probably G3s. And, like, we had a bunch of Lightwave installations. Oh, we had, yeah. We had Final Cut pro going on um God, that would have been like final cut six even like uh yeah maybe even five honestly geez. and then we had media 100 which most people listening is probably have no idea what the no. hell that even Gosh, is that would have been when like <laughs> flash was still owned by macromedia uh, yeah like we're going we're going back 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 a ways now um but uh where was i headed with the train of thought oh i was bringing this up because you know like i started playing with after effects in high school in the computer lab and i thought this was just the coolest thing in the world i mean i was just making Stupid, stupid stuff. I mean, it was just like Tim and Eric inspired. Like before, this is predating Tim and Eric also, but like just really silly animations. Yeah. Like where I'd take some 
tutorial content and like cut it up in a different way that it wasn't supposed to, but I just thought it was, you know, hilarious. It probably wasn't funny, and I'm sure if I saw it now, I would cringe, <laughs> but uh, that was my introduction to the job path that I ultimately took. Yeah. Uh, weird how that plays out. But, um, you know, when I, when I wanted to kind of learn more organically, I, you know, I went to my mom and I just like begged her. We were in Tower Books down the street from my house, and I found a book on like, you know, the official Adobe introduction to. Could I get another beer? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do, you want, do you want another beer? I'm good. Uh, you know, the official introduction to After Effects or whatever the case might be. And, um, you know, I got begged her to buy it because I was broke and 14 or 15. And, like, it was a big deal. It was like, oh, you're buying a book to learn this stupid animation program. Yeah. And, you know, and in generation YouTube, that doesn't really fly. Like, you look at... Um, you look at what, like, kids are making, and this is, I'm, this is a really long rambling point, but what I'm trying to get at is kids growing up right now with access to the internet learn things in a very different way from, you know, say, people your, yourself or my own age. Right, right. Um, information is so much more readily available. And so when they set out to learn something, they have, like, this infinite level of resources immediately at their disposal. And I see some of the stuff that, you know, some kid who's like 15 makes in freaking Iran or something. And I'm just like, this is incredible work. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. this is shocking. And they they made it purely based on what they learned on the internet, right? On the fly. And it's like, they have this, like, that curiosity is sort of hard-baked into them purely because that access to information is so broad. It's just like... Um, and I think that's, I mean, part of that, I think, is what separates children from adults, is that children, there is no right or wrong answer, right? And they're yeah. not afraid of somebody saying something's trash either, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Because there's no there's no consequence there. But that, that breeds a really interesting dichotomy, though, because you weigh that against adults who find themselves in the creative space, and they've committed to that career path, which is a hard one to suck up and you know anybody who works in that space will know like it's a it's one that'll definitely chew people up and spit them out real fast yeah it's a tough industry it's a tough industry but i think that they also find themselves um getting to a point more often than oh, not where they you. commit to sort of like oh i've got this one niche thing in the in the bag you know i'm, I'm pretty good at it's one thing i'll just do that one thing and i i just view that as like suicide honestly yeah, actually, that's a really th that that's funny that you bring it up because I've, uh, in analogous experience, you know, um, I, because I'm 36, so I think our, our our growing up in learning the media stuff is similar. I got my hands on Photoshop in about fifth grade through my mom's workspace. And that was when uh, the Infinity Wars comic book was out. I'm uh, not a comic book nerd, no, so I'm so, not, I mean, that, that's I mean, no the, good the point Avenger, of reference. But. The Inventor franchise, like where they are, like when that comic book series came out in the 90s, like that was a big deal and black and white scanners were a thing and like crossover books in the Marvel Universe and you pick them up at your grocery store. Yeah. So what I did is I would go and I would scan the comics in different pages and like I would take the page where maybe Spider-Man's in a crossover and then I'd lasso out those frames and I would try and awkwardly insert them you know, timeline continuity-wise within the real book. Huh. You know, just being fifth-grade nerdy. Sure. But coming up from that space where the access to the knowledge and the tools was scarce, 
compared to now. Like, I've definitely noticed people my age and older, like, publishing is sacred. Like, it's, it's, it's hard, and, like, you're careful about it. Like, coming to an idea takes a lot of work. And I watch people in their 20s and younger that are coming into this industry. It's just boom, 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 boom. And through that very different approach, like, the work is just as good. It's just a very, very different way of kind of coming around to it. It's really interesting being on two different sides of, you know, so like we're all doing the same shit, but like kind of how the gears work is very different. Yeah, and I think that there's something to be said about that kind of boom, 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 you know, out the door production mindset that you were describing because you look at sort of like the luminaries and like the 3D or design space right now, people like, like say like a Beeple, mm -hmm. you know, like Beeple's famous, you know, and Beeple's our age or older, I don't know how old he is, but he's in his 30s for sure, at least. Um, no offense, people. I mean, I don't know. Uh -huh. <laughs> he's he's older-ish. Uh, you know, he he like he has a kid. Um, you know, he's famous for doing the the daily everyday thing, and that he's built an entire career off that. And that's like a dude does stunning work every day. You know, um, I'm not saying we should all aspire to be people, but what I'm saying is is like that model of like adaptation and like. Um, kind of like visibility there is something that I think is like m more important than I would like to admit. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you were talking about it earlier with social media is that it like, like went before Facebook got toxic, you know, I was kind of excited and it's like, this is fun. This is amazing. I'm reaching out to people. And then you could kind of see like, like if, if you were deep in social media, like around 2012, 2013, you started to see like just the emotional relationship was getting more distant and mm -hmm. like it didn't feel like there were and, and I drifted out of it and it's only like really recently I've come back but yeah it's like the like the guys that spent that didn't do that fade out and return and that just regular discipline of publishing it you know Andrew Kramer for example and the guys from Grayscale Gorilla are also really great examples of how just that persistent publishing seemed to really really pay off sure I mean like I mean, I hate to admit how much truth there is to that, but like literally I was in the car on the way over here and I was listening to NPR and they were talking about a study that they just finished wherein people who took a, a measured break from Facebook were, you know, and this is kind of speaking more to politics in the case of the study, but they were saying people who took a break from Facebook were uh, less divided, but they were also less informed. Yeah. And like, I feel like... You could almost take that exact same statement and cut and paste it to, you know, the creative space. Like, and it kind of gave me pause thinking about that because I was like, shit, like, that's kind of where we found ourselves. I don't know how mm -hmm. I feel about that. Like, it, it, it's both cool to know that, like, you can have an audience. Like, I mean, I, I'll admit every now and then I'll get, like, somebody who an artist I really respect or, like, a musician I really respect who, like, see something I did or something and then they'll like it, I'll be like, oh, damn, like, that's pretty neat. But I mean, it means nothing, right? It's just yeah. somebody pressing a stupid button. But, like, I do get a little kick out of that. Um, I've had that happen, too, with my Instagram. Every once in a while, somebody who I wouldn't expect would, would catch wind of, like, one piece. Yeah. And they would give, like, a little like. It was like, whoa, that's cool, you know? And then, yeah, you're right. It doesn't mean anything, but you still get a thrill from it. I mean, for me, for me, it's more just, like, it's neat to even know that I have the opportunity to have something that lands on somebody else's radar. It's not even that they like something, like, because that doesn't mean anything to me. Like, that's, that's completely inconsequential. It's, hey, I had the opportunity to present something in front of somebody else 
whom, whose opinion I may be holding in high regard, right? And that sounds very, I don't know, I mean, I, I'm like listening to myself talk and I'm like, ugh. Like, I, I kind of almost like want to like puke a little bit because I'm like, this is so not who I am. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, there is like, it is a neat reflection of where we are in time that that's even a possibility, right? Well, you know, that, that's interesting because I've, I've been, you know, without trying to get into that kind of like smelling your own farts kind of space. Right. I've been suspicious that we'll see a, a higher rise of ego influence in the creative spaces because, you know, the longevity of millennials in this space is really different from Gen Xers and boomers just because of how disruptive things were in the early aughts. And I think social media is amplifying our exposure, whether we like it or not. Like, I, I, it feels like we're drifting towards sports in some way, where like personalities. Again, I mean, we're talking about we're talking about names right now, like Beeple and Kramer and all these folks. Like, like, and that makes sense to us in our world. But I think that that's becoming more common. Um, I, I pay a lot of attention on LinkedIn right now because it's like not shitty Facebook. Very similar to Facebook without the screaming politics. Mm -hmm. And you're starting to see like the people that kind of post regularly, the algorithms favor them. And then you start to get familiar with names and faces. And if they have enough resource to kind of put some production value behind their thoughts, like it's sticky. It's really sticky. And... I mean, I think we've barely begun to see motivated people that have grown up in this that aren't hesitant. Just, you know, I think younger kids are going to be way more personality driven, you know, just by the consequence of it. I mean, it's yeah. interesting. No, it is interesting. And I don't I, I have a hard time seeing where that like goes, I guess, because I definitely come from a place sort of like in my own philosophy and psychology of just like kind of just resenting social media in general like and, and yeah. if, if, I know that sounds at odds with what I've just now said but like that is really my like in, in my heart of hearts that's my perception of it it's just generally negative um, and so I really do wonder looking at a younger generation like what they'll do with that yeah I, I try and I, I try and soothe some of the grumpiness around social media and thinking in terms of this is how communities are finding each other mm. you know and, and, and that's my excuse for all the horrible things that kind of come with it you know it's like yeah communities are finding each other and let's ignore the propaganda and the hateful dialogue and the narcissism and the heavy distraction engine it is there's community yeah that, that's kind of how I, I i get around it but you know i what we do is so high performance driven and what we do is so skills driven and there's so much thinking strategy behind it and such a strong relationship with technology i mean the, the, this this is a tough industry to get in, and the people that survive, um, their names get known whether they like it or not, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think that's actually an interesting point that you just touched on there at the end, because, you know, not so much in terms of, like, content creation, but certainly in terms of, like, production for, like, a show, you know, like, social media is the business card now. <laughs> Yeah, like I don't, I, I, I've never, I haven't had a business card in a long time. But like, you know, I entertained like recently. I was like, eh, well, maybe I'll get a new one cut. And then I realized like, no one's actually gonna keep this thing anyway. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's just like, what's your Instagram handle? What's your this? And it's just like, all right, well, that's where people are spending their time. That's yeah. more important, you know. Well, and that's the thing is that when I was when I was with Left Turn Only, I gave it a business card, 
because it was a way to do the agency brand in addition to the name. So it got to package a little bit tighter. Mm-hmm. But now that I'm a free agent again, um, it's totally just like, what's the social media du jour that, that is going to make sense for you accessing this stuff? And since I've got a handful of things that I produce and keep in my portfolio, like I can put it on Behance, I can put it on Instagram, I can put it on DeviantArt, I can I can gimmick it up with some motion, put it on Vimeo, like, and then it's just who I'm talking to in that moment. I'm able to kind of gauge and guess like, oh, you're not a Vimeo person. I'm going to tell you about the Instagram or, oh, you're like super cool as an artist and you love illustration. Maybe I'll send you to my DeviantArt because that's where you have to be. And my only cost for that extra social media profile setup is some time watching cartoons in the evening and uploading Hmm. and then copying and pasting things over. So like the lift on being on like 12 platforms is so easy that, yeah, I don't I don't need a business card. I don't even really need a strong portfolio. I just point people to their own comfortable place. See, and that's funny to me because, you know, yeah, we're good, man. In, in line with the same conversation we were just having about me having this like weird split brain about social media and having a real love hate relationship with it. You know, like the idea of having like 12 platforms to manage or something just seems like absurd to me. Oh, <laughs> like, I don't talk to people on 12. No, no I mean, I'm no. sure. I'm sure. I'm just saying like, as a matter of fact, and I think that's where I like, that's one of the biggest problems that I have with it is like, it's so fractured and strange. Like in some ways, like I almost wish, you know, for all the pros and, 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 positive things I have just said about social media there's a part of me that really just wishes like for this old school era where like you just picked up the phone and you called somebody and like that was it like email didn't exist yeah but also by the same token like you know I wouldn't be employed doing what I'm doing now if that didn't exist so it's like a it's a total catch 22 that you well it's funny because like with the phone thing like I've been away from doing phone calls long enough like I'm kind of comfortable living without telephone calls in my life but there's a truth to that immediacy that i wish we did still live in a time and a place where the phone wasn't treated as such a horrible interruption from you know telemarketers are fucking awful like i don't answer a call i don't recognize yeah but i wish i could just call people more immediately without the other person and i've tried this you know because i've i've consumed sales knowledge where it's like just call a cold call just call them just call them and i do and like how they're like what are you doing why, what, why Why? are we talking? Like, send me something so I can judge you in my underwear without thinking about you. You know, I mean, that's really what it is, yeah. kind of as, you know, and that, it, it, yeah, it's weird. I wish phone calls worked. They don't. Well, I mean, at least for me. Well, I guess I'm saying in the, when I said phone calls, I meant that in the context of like an old school era in which that was our only real medium for long distance communication, right? Mm-hmm. Like pre, pre-social media, pre-email, pre-internet, really, like, that was the way that it all went down. But, you know, I'm also in that way kind of like um, idolizing a pipe dream in that, like, you know, in that era. Also, you know, the tools to make the things that I do would not exist. So I'm, I'm hoping for a, a world that doesn't exist anymore in that way. So it's pointless. It is funny what you bring up, though, about the phone call thing. I was thinking about this the other day in the context of, like, all these, like, robocalls you get all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I get them... All the time. All the time. It is like the the most obnoxious thing in the world. And I realized that like phone, like the phone is now in the place that like email was in the like mid to late aughts. When like spam email before like we'd figured out how to actually like regulate email. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. Where like you would just like your inbox would just be like, like just fucking nothing but trash. 
That's basically what the phone has become, which is like a really, really weird evolutionary step that we've arrived <laughs> at this point. But like I had this epiphany earlier, I was thinking about this, and it was like literally like the phone is now exactly that, where you just get like trash things over and over again that are all just scams and cons. Like, like mm -hmm. none of them are actually mm -hmm. anything meaningful. They're not even really selling anything half the time, they're just trying to rip you off. You know, yeah. like I, and it's really interesting to me that we've arrived at a point wherein that's the next step of like the phone. <laughs> well, and that's what's so funny to me in some ways about social media is because like I'm now really hesitant to even give out my email for fear of just a deluge of bullshit. Mm. So it's like I don't really want to give out my phone. I really don't want to give out my email. I still want to work with you. You know, so that's when I default back to like, well, OK, which social media are you the most comfortable with? I, I'm. I'm trying to make sure that I've got at least a modicum of a position there to keep it easy because it's a it's a filtering barrier because if you if you gum up my social media I don't really care mm. like for example with Facebook like I still have stuff on Facebook and I still engage from time to time but I went to the like the deliberate effort of literally unfollowing everyone I know you know I didn't unfriend them because that that gets really weird and soapboxy but I don't I like when I load up Facebook I've disengaged so much it throws an error message. Goes some something happened and your content didn't load. We'll get back on it. It's like yeah, because I fucking deleted everything. <laughs> but um, it'll show me like a memory, and then if I try and say I don't want to follow memories, it throws an error at me. Mm. You know, like I, I I reduced my engagement as much as possible. But if you wanted to find me personally, you can still find me and a complete profile on Facebook to get a sense of who I am. And if you really do want to reach out further, I just don't fucking care. Yeah, no, I mean, I have a very measured approach to that. Like, I don't have any pictures of me on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Which some people, I, I think, like, that, that throws some people for a loop sometimes. Um, I mean, I mean, this is wandering, like, way over. We're, we're way yeah. lost in social media talk now, but, like... The one that always gets me is, like, the way that we link all these things up now is pretty fascinating. Um, you know, if I get into a lift, it pulls my photo from Facebook. <laughs> but my photo from Facebook isn't a photo at all. It's this weird animated loop I made. And so, you know, and I've got a pretty weird first name with a weird spelling. And so I think, like, drivers are always, like, the second I get it, it's just like, who is a... Who oh, am I fuck you, man. <laughs> yeah, like, who am I picking up? Like, what is this What is this person's deal? Like, I don't... Pretty hard to probably figure out my gender also. So they're just... All right, you know. Dude, talk about the drift and evolution of technology. I get into a lift. And then they have those little boxes in the front of the car, right? So when the, they're pulling up from the dashboard, like looking in the windshield, you can see it. You can see it's the actual like lift car. It has that little yeah. light up thing. But when you're sitting in the passenger seat, the back side of it has like a little LED display, and it'll say like, "Hello, Charles. Thanks for riding with us." Like this is like straight out of Fifth Element or some shit. Oh, where I've never noticed the that. The car will say "Hello" back to you just because the tech is synced up, and it can it, it can pull the metadata for the name and just put it back out like we can intuitively like we can piece together how it happens and i'm still just like your little like disposable dashboard knows my name what the fuck future do i live yeah. in yeah <laughs> but um yeah so i don't know like that's you're right we rambled yeah <laughs> we, that's we all right we went on a weird social media black well, hole i don't know we're like 40 minutes in um and and we're we're, we're nearing kind of the end of interesting conversation um What's your website, man? We like, like, what's what's the place to if it's not social media, you know, or whatever um, it is. Where, where do people, if if they listen to this, and they want to see some of your work, where would you direct them? 
Yeah, so I have a portfolio up right now, but it's like... Honest, is it the Neon Dope Machine website? Yeah, that thing is so out of date at this point, though, and, like, I honestly haven't even it's signed such a great into URL. it. It's such a great URL. It's such a weird one. So I think the problem is, like, so I have a pretty unique first and last name, and the, the problem is if I say it to somebody in passing, they'll never get the spelling right. And so... Uh, Dude, for, I think I fucked up your name for like the first two years I knew no, you. No, exactly, and that's most people, and that's totally fine. I've, and that's the thing is, I've, I've accepted those realities. Like, I own my first name as a domain, but if I just say it to somebody and they don't know me, like they won't, they won't get it right. Uh huh. So, I landed on that one because I was like, well, maybe I should just adopt some weird moniker to run with for all like my client work or personal stuff. And that one was like a really weird organic one that just happened with my. Uh, roommate and I on a bus south by southwest several years ago where we were just like someone was speaking in Spanish rapid fire and we both just looked at each other like she'd said something we were like did she just say neon dope machine it was just like <laughs> she said something she obviously didn't say that but yeah. it was just something and we were like dude that would be the greatest name for something we we're like yeah we should definitely so I just stole it from him I was like alright well that's mine now um I honestly haven't updated this so long. I mean, my real, like, I, I look at the real in there and I just, like, cringe because I'm like, yeah, Oh, I asked Dane in the last episode, uh, yeah, what, what you were, oh, I don't have one. Where's your portfolio? I don't have one. Yeah. Like, he no, was just like, completely offline. I, I pretty much need to pull that one down. Um, I would say, like, Instagram, um, Colt Magic, K-V-L-T underscore M-A-G-I-K, uh, is, like, the better place. Um, and there will actually be, like, a proper site for that launching pretty quick. I'm working on that right now. Which is much more skewing towards like live visual stuff. Cool. Um, well, when this publishes uh, in the description with the credit, I'll I'll, I'll put a, a right tag on. to that yeah. in there. Uh, yeah, just like old portfolio sites. Just it. Like I, I'm I'm kind of shocked because I still get people like new referrals be like, oh, I found you through this, or like somebody point me to this, and I'm just like. I haven't looked at it in so long. Like, I just need to, do, I just need to pull it down at this point. Yeah, honestly, um, yeah. Well, I mean, it's still pulling inbound for you, so maybe, maybe it's fine. I don't I, know. I don't know. I mean, it, to me, it doesn't feel like a reflection of where I am, and I don't feel like yeah. it reflects. I don't want to say where I am in terms of like, oh, I'm so much more talented, but just like, it doesn't reflect the work I'm doing now either. Like yeah. the nature of the work that I'm doing now is different, and so I don't feel like it's very, um, very good at showing that, portraying it. Right on. Well, well, I'll. You know, for all two listeners, I'll I'll make sure that your Instagram tag is out there. But okay, Kagan, thanks so much for for chatting with us here at at Sawyer and Company in Austin, Texas. Yeah, thanks there's for the me. other plug. There all you right. go, Sawyer. <laughs> cool. I'm I'm gonna hit stop on the recordings. All now. right, do it.